Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Thank you, listening friends, for tuning in to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I welcome you on behalf of Elder David Wise, my partner in this ministerial effort, to declare the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to thank you as listeners, and I want to thank WLZA 96.1 FM for being the venue to host this broadcast. We hope that you'll decide to tune back in with us again Sunday by Sunday. It is our great privilege to do so. Now, we uh, want you to visit our churches. Churches in the area are Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, located at 11 Staten Road near Ackerman, Mississippi. In Maven, Mississippi, you'll find Clear Springs Primitive Baptist Church, located at 55 Tahoe Road, Maven, Mississippi. They meet every second and fourth Sunday. They're without a pastor right now, but they are blessed with a steady uh, pulpit supply of visiting brethren who are sound. And uh, we invite you to go and worship every second and fourth Sunday at 10.30 a.m. with Clear Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Mabin. And we also want you to visit us at 40283 Wolf Road in Caledonia, Mississippi. That's Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church. Our churches meet together every Wednesday evening uh, on the grounds of New Covenant Church. That's located at 200 West Garrard Road. That's G-A-R-R-A-R-D, West Garrard Road in Starkville. We meet at 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening, and we invite you to come and worship the Lord with us. Also go to our website, gospel-of-grace.com, and let us know that you're listening and take advantage of the resources offered there. Today we are continuing with a installment on a series of messages titled King Saul, A Cautionary Tale. And after this wonderful hymn, we'll be right back with today's message.
Thank you so much for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel of Grace Radio Broadcast again. I'm Joe Nettles, and I want to today examine the life of the Old Testament character, King Saul, King Saul of Israel. He was their first earthly king. Now, I say earthly because their first, foremost, and victorious king was, and still is, the Lord of glory. That's right, the Israel of God that remaineth today, wherever they are, of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue, known by God, redeemed by the blood of Christ, God is their king, is the only one who has power, and he's the only one who truly has majesty. Now, the children of Israel of old, due to their prideful desire to be more like the surrounding kingdoms of their day, they rejected the headship of Jehovah and craved a human king for themselves. And they ultimately got what they craved, but they did not get the ends they desired. And isn't that always the case when God's children decide to go their own way? Like stubborn children, we want to cast off the dependence on the faithful, loving parents, only to stumble and fall and injure ourselves foolishly, rather than accept the reality that we need our parents. Well, let's look at the life of King Saul, who is a complex, compelling Old Testament character. And from his errors, we as Christians, we can learn very much. However, before we gaze, and I'll say it in horrified disgust, as we look and examine the life of King Saul, uh, most of what we see recorded in Scripture regarding his life was just that. It is horrified disgust. However, before we gaze in horrified disgust at the sad, crumbled remains of his life, we, much like archaeologists today that seek answers from the dirt, we must search the Scriptures to discover Saul's first foundation. And what is that? What is the ultimate end, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, as it were, of King Saul of the Old Testament? Well, friends, I think we can safely uh, deduce from Scripture that King Saul is in heaven. Now, somebody may say, whoa, wait a minute now. I've read about King Saul. I've read about his malice, his rebellion, his stubbornness, his disobedience, his pride, his arrogance. I just don't see how that could be a person that's in heaven. Well, I'll agree with you that if I was just to see all of those things manifested in someone's life, I myself would not be first in line to advocate and say, oh yeah, this old boy right here, he's a child of grace. He's been born again of the spirit of God, been redeemed by the blood of Christ and heaven will be his home. Yeah, I would be the first in line to advocate that way. However, this isn't something left up for conjecture. When we have scripture, inspired scripture, that means the words from the heart of God, the perfect knowledge of God preserved, inspired, and given us in the form of holy scripture. And that leads me to believe certainly that King Saul, even though I would never want to live the God dishonoring life that he lived in much of his life, he was redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if we miss this most crucial point, Rather than his life being the cautionary for tale for Christians, it is. This examination of the errors of his life would carry no more importance than just a documentary of the life of Adolf Hitler or Pol Pot or some other evil character. It would be morbidly interesting, maybe, but not edifying. Therefore, to try to convince you to look at the life of King Saul from a different perspective, from a scriptural perspective, as we examine his life, we'll begin in 1 Samuel chapter 11. Now, this is very early in the recordings regarding King Saul. Nahash the Ammonite had come up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead, where the half-tribe of Manasseh lived. 
But the men of Jabesh, they came unto Nahash, and they said, Make a covenant with us, we'll serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them and made a condition of the covenant uh, that he would thrust out the right eyes of all the children of Israel in that land so that it may be laid for a reproach upon all Israel. Now we're going to carry forward on to verse 6 where the children of Israel cried and wept and they'd basically given up all hope that they were going to have some deliverance regarding this and they were just kind of resigned to the fact that we're going to have to give them our right eyes and the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. Now, I know the Spirit of God can come upon and move and guide one uh, that is, uh, you know, not necessarily a born-again child of God, because it's just the power of God. Sometimes God restrains. Sometimes God uh, moves even the wicked to do things to his end. Uh, he doesn't move them to wickedness, but he compels them to go in a certain direction that it would be to the uh, good of his children and maybe to the honor of his name, certainly. But here, uh, the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard these tidings. That doesn't mean the Spirit of God was in Saul necessarily, but let's look and see what the rest of the text says. We go down to verse 11. It says, And it was so on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered, so that two of them were not left together. And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. See, there were many who scoffed at Saul being king, being made king. They said, who is this man? Who does he think he is can lead us? Well, hereafter, Saul has now led the children of Israel to this great victory over Nahash and the Ammonites. Uh, Samuel says, well, these people who are troublemakers, these people who are trying to resist against the chosen king of Israel and, and Saul, let us, let's bring them forward. Let's have them answer. Let's put them to death. And notice the reply of Saul. And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. Then said Samuel to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. In other words, we were going to formally celebrate the kingship of Saul. And all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So Saul, prior to pride taking hold of him, at this early point in his uh, life that we see recorded, had a blessed God-honoring start to his kingship. This was not a man who was seeking the kingship. It was chosen for him. This was a man who was not clamoring to rise to power, but yet he had to be found hiding among the stuff for him to be anointed as king displaying humility and some kind of fearful uh, understanding of the, the gravity of the situation of leading God's people. And God's promise to him was that if he obeyed and served him, then the kingdom would remain established in his house forever. I mean, you could go to 1 Samuel thirteen thirteen for one such instance where this was indicated to Saul. And I'm telling you, if the inspired word of God tells me that God would have done this had he remained faithful, then I have no uh, choice but to believe it to be true. It's the inspired word of God. However, Saul didn't remain faithful. But at this point in his life, it would be easy for us to have confidence in him as a spirit-born child of God. 
However, following this was a litany of errors that wound up costing Saul greatly. It cost him his strength, confidence, and his fellowship with Jehovah. We have to basically fast forward to the end of his kingship. Again, we see all this litany of errors sandwiched in between the beginning and the end of his kingship. So we have to fast forward now to the end of his kingship to find scriptural evidence of his redeemed state. And we're even where we find that, in the midst of that, the context, it's provided while Saul was in stubborn disobedience even then. Notice 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 11 through 19. Now we see here Saul has gotten in such a pickle He's been receiving no more answer directly from God. He's receiving no answers of God, no guidance from God by the prophets because he's been disobedient, he's been rebellious, and God has withdrawn himself from him. So now he's gone to a witch. That's right, the king of Israel seeking counsel of a witch, one of which before prior in the kingdom, uh, all the witches and, and the necromancers and all of them had been uh, dealt with and purged from the kingdom, but yet here he's found there is one remaining, and here he is going to her for counsel. What a low, pitiful, sad place that King Saul has now uh, placed himself in. So in 1 Samuel chapter 28, we're going to read verses 11 through 19. Then said the woman, I want you to notice the stress of my words here. Then said the woman, whom shall I bring up unto thee? So here he's warning uh, Samuel the spirit of Samuel brought up so that he could ask counsel of Samuel. Remember, by this time, Samuel is dead and buried. Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, notice her response. She cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul saying, why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. Why did she do that? I would venture to say to you, my friends, this woman had never actually called up the spirit of anyone. Here she is behaving with great incredulity. She is shocked. She's amazed, scared even that she's seen the spirit come up. Here she calls for him and here he is. Leads me to believe this has never, ever happened before. Because friends, I can tell you, certainly when it comes to uh, the spirit, souls and spirits of God's people, they go immediately to heaven. And she'll have no control over that. Whether any ever uh, roam this earth, although it tells me in the word of God that they awaken in hell, there's much debating about that. But certainly for God's children, their soul and spirit immediately awakens with the Lord in heaven. She didn't have the power to call up the spirit, but yet people thought that she did. So here this woman was a huckster. She saw Samuel, she cried, and now she realizes there's something significant going on here. This person who's come to her in disguise is not just any person. This is the actual king of Israel. And the king said unto her, be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw God's little g, God's ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, what form is he of? And she said, an old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me? Now here's Samuel. And notice now, this is not just, some people say, well, this was just a wicked spirit pretending to be Samuel. No, 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 my friends. The inspired word of God is telling us that this was actually the soul and spirit of Samuel. Here he is labeled, named Samuel. So this is truly the soul and spirit of Samuel, who had been in heaven with the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, 
Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? I stress that me. Notice that. That'll make sense here in a little bit. And Saul answered, I am sore distressed. For the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me? Here, he called himself me earlier. Here he's using the same context, me. Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord has departed from thee and is become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me, the Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Now, why did I stress me, me, me? Well, let's see if we can bring all this together in a way that you can understand, Lord being our helper. So let's look at the options here. Now, there are discussions about what this actually means. Where did this spirit of Samuel, from whence did it come? What did it mean? Where is Saul going to wind up being? Well, we have a few options. Number one, uh, you know, Saul could be going to hell. But if so, then that means Samuel and Saul's son, Jonathan, are also there. Because Saul said, where I am, there you'll be, and thy sons. One of his sons was Jonathan. Friends, a man who was so dear to David, it's like their hearts were knit together. Uh, he's a picture, my friends, of covenant bond and love and redemption and salvation that we see intertwined in the life of David, who is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. That's unthinkable. That's unthinkable, okay? So when he said, thou and thy sons will be with me, obviously he's not talking about hell. Well, the second option, the grave. Many people say, well, he just meant that they're going to be dead. They're going to lose their physical bodies, their lives, and they're going to go to the grave. Well, let's look at that. Notice we stress the me. The me that came up, the me of Samuel that came up and spake with Saul was Samuel's soul, not his body. It was the same me or soul and spirit of Samuel under consideration with whom Saul and his sons would abide. Obviously, this was not speaking of the body of Samuel as Samuel's body at this time was buried already. It was interred in the ground. Also, Samuel set the time frame during which Saul and his sons would be, quote, with me. He said it would be the next day. Well, not only was his body in the ground and Saul's body, friends, was not going to be in the ground for quite a while. How do we know that? Saul and his son's bodies weren't interred until much later after their death. That day, their bodies didn't go into the ground. It was the me, the soul and spirit of Samuel that spake. So that leads me to believe that what was under consideration was the soul and spirit of Saul and his sons, because their bodies were not going to be in the same place as Samuel. Samuel's was in the ground, but we go to 1 Samuel chapter 31, and we're going to read a few verses. Notice it tells us about how long it took for Saul and his sons to be buried and interred in the earth. 
And it came to pass on the morrow, this is 1 Samuel 31, 8, and it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and notice this, and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. What happened here? We have a morbid uh, tour going on, like a rock uh, band will go on tour. Here we have a tour of the carcasses of Saul and his sons. They weren't buried in the ground. No, they were being carried uh, from pillar to post to be shown to all the Philistines in the area, to be mocked. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth. They fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Oh, the indignity. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard of that, which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose, went all night, took the body of Saul, the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beth Shan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. And then we read immediately after that, now they've buried them under a tree and they made mourning. So at the very least, it had to be days before the bodies of Saul and his sons were actually put in the earth. So I would be led to infer from that plainly that, what was under consideration when Samuel said, thy sons will be with me. It certainly didn't mean their earthly bodies in the ground because the next day that did not happen. So that leads me to believe my friends, that soul and spirit was under consideration. We certainly know it's not in hell because Jonathan's not in hell. Neither is Samuel leads me to believe it was heaven. Amen. Now, again, you're not the only one. You're in good company. If you've always been thought, always, you know, had a hard time imagining that this could be the case. But friends, we must subjugate our own preconceived notions and must submit ourselves to the truth of scripture, right? Amen. Well, let's look at a man I respect greatly, John Gill, uh, ancient Baptist and a wonderful writer of commentaries. And I go to John Gill commentaries a lot to try to get insight on certain scriptures and uh, many things he's just spot on about. But friends, many things just like any other man we would not agree with. Now, this was John Gill's take on the on this situation. Quote, if he would have it understood of him as representing Samuel and of their being with him in heaven, it must be a great stretch of charity to believe it true of Saul, so wicked a man who died in the act of suicide, though the Jews, some of them, understand it in this sense, that his sins were pardoned and he was saved. So here John Gill said, I mean, if we're to understand this is talking about heaven, what a great stretch of charity it would take to believe that Saul would have been saved and in heaven. Friends, let me ask you something. What stretch of charity could you ever imagine that would surprise you regarding God's great mercy? <laughs> I'm telling you, we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And friends, grace that's not amazing is not even grace. Oh, John Gill himself, a man of great spiritual insight, he struggled with this. It couldn't be, but yet... When you look at the depths of the charity and of the mercy of God, it could be, right? It could be, and it is. We'll try to continue on with this uh, when we speak to you next time. Try to consider this perspective of the life of Saul. And I think in so doing, when we examine his errors, we can see where we are subject and prone to such errors 
And hopefully we'll be able to learn some wonderful, enriching spiritual lessons uh, from looking at the uh, life of King Saul and then doing the opposite of those things. Amen. Until I'm able to speak with you again regarding this subject, may the Lord's special mercy be upon you all. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast, entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus.